Well, good evening, man. Let me hear that one more time. Good evening, man. It is great to be at Camp Eagle, is it not? It is, it is. And I uh, am just really excited to come and get into God's Word this, this evening. Uh, but I must say, I want to just share a little bit of how we came to our theme of lift um, and how we, our men's team, as we prayed over what would, God would give us this year to share with you, uh, I want to communicate just a little bit of, of, of how that came uh, to be. Uh, as a men's pastor here at Wayside, uh, my passion is right now. Uh, I am in my passion right now to see men at a retreat coming up here to renew themselves, to get away from it all, uh, to focus on the Lord, to be of help to one another, to fellowship, to enjoy ourselves. Um, all this is my passion. All this is in my wheelhouse. Um, I love what I do here. And what I want to see more than anything else is for every, each and every one of you men to thrive. And the reality is I realize that not all of us are thriving. And God gave me and our team a little picture this year of that and how we could move from the recognition of, number one, that, that we're not all necessarily thriving to how we move from point A to point B in that process. And this was the picture that the Lord gave me. He said, Stephen, I think too many men are living life with their heads down. And he says, what I want to do is come along to each and every man, not me, the Lord, come along to each and every man, and I want to lift up their chin. And I want their eyes to be focused on me. And if we can move our men to a point where we are now, instead of living life with our heads down in shame or in anger or in whatever, our hair on fire, we're too busy, whatever it may be, if we can move from a point of living our lives there to living our lives here, then now the Lord can do something in our lives. And we can move from a point of not thriving necessarily to thriving. I recognize that not all of us are not thriving. Many of us here tonight are thriving. But as a whole, in our culture today as men, there's many, many things that we struggle with. And so this weekend is going to give us an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get our heads up and get our eyes on the Lord and get ourselves focused on Him. And as we begin to do that, I believe God is going to do a work. And I believe God is going to do a work of renewal in our hearts and our minds with one another. And we're going to go back better men for our families and for our church and for our society and for our workplaces and for our world. And that's my passion, men. And that's what we want to see as a team this weekend. Amen? And so as we do that, we need to pray. Because this is not about, this is not about us teaching something or about us doing something. This is about God's work, and God's work always happens God's way. And the only way that God functions is that when we ask him, when we ask him to come in and to do a work in our lives, in our hearts, God just has to do, touch you one time for one moment to put you right where he wants you to be. And so we need to pray for that. We need to be praying that God would do that. And so as we open our scriptures tonight, let's, let's ask God to show us through his scriptures 
Now let's ask God to work in our lives. And let's ask God to be here this weekend and to lift our eyes uh, that we might be uh, focused on him. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this psalm. I thank you for your word and your love for us. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you have every man here this evening for a purpose. Lord, that nobody is here by happenstance. Lord, that you have given us a great opportunity this weekend. And it is an opportunity to draw near to you and draw near to one another. And so I ask, Lord, that this weekend that you would renew us, that you would focus us, Lord, that you would help us thrive, that we might find glory in you, that you might use us in the lives of our friends and our families, in the lives of our workplaces, uh, Lord, in the lives of our communities and in our culture. Uh, Lord, let it be said that the men of Wayside thrive, that we're not just making it, but that we thrive. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The other day I was giving my friend a ride, and his three-year-old daughter was, was behind me in the car seat. And I was giving her a, fr- a, a ride, and not two minutes into the ride, I heard these words. Daddy, are we there yet? Daddy, are we there yet? Have you ever had a phrase expressed to you? And all of a sudden, the moment that phrase was expressed to you, all these floods of emotions, all these floods of memories, everything comes back to you. The moment that this little three-year-old said, are are we there yet, is the exact moment that I remembered my vacations as a kid. There was a man singing under a tree, huge oak tree, big live oak tree in South Carolina, guitar. We're licking ice cream on our cones. We're listening to this man do, you know, sing all these ditties. And one of the ditties he teaches us as kids is to sing to the tune Frere Jaca. You know, Frere Jaca. Frere. Are we there yet? And he said, what you need to do is drive your parents crazy with are we there yet? And I remember that. All those memories of vacation flooded, flooded me. And... It reminded me of a tradition that I've been trying to uphold in my family for many, many years. You see, when we set out on a journey, mostly because our cars have been old and a little bit rickety, and we needed prayer to make sure that we get from point A to point B with the cars we drive. Anybody ever been there? I know you have. And, and so one of the traditions that I started was... To ask, to, to ask the Lord, the moment we get in our car and begin on vacation, begin on a journey, the very moment before we put out, pull out of the driveway, we're going to ask the Lord to watch over us in our journey. We're going to ask the Lord to help us in our journey, to make sure that we make it from point A to point B. And we've been doing this for 21 years. We started when my son Matthew, who's 21 now, was like 
barely even born. And I remember when we started, the kids couldn't say a thing, right? The kids couldn't pray. I mean, they were just little babies. They didn't know what was going on. And so me and Melody would take turns for several years praying in front of them. But as we began to pray, slowly they began to realize this is, this is the way we do this. This is what we do. We, we get in a car and we begin to pray over our trip. And so slowly but surely as the years go by, we allow, or we allow our kids to start praying. Oh, you should have heard some of these prayers. These are some awesome prayers. The prayer of a three-year-old. Oh, Lord, please get us there fast. Right? The prayer, and then like a minute later, are we there yet? Are we there yet? The, the, the prayer of our six-year-old with no filter. God bless him. With no filter. Lord, I pray that you would get us on our vacation to where we need to go. And would you give me my Lego set for Christmas? And would you help my brothers not pester me on the way? Right? These are the most beautiful prayers you'll ever hear. The prayers of a child. And God hears them, right? Uh, But over the years, we've been praying for our journey. And as we pray over trips that the Lord would lead us on our journey... I must say, God has been so faithful to our family uh, to get us from point A to B. B. And as I think about that whole process that has played out, and now our boys are teenagers, I have a 16-year-old triplets and a 21-year-old, now we can just say, who's praying this time? And somebody somebody will jump in, and they'll start praying. And and they'll pray a, a prayer for the journey that's beautiful. And when I thought about that, and I think about this teaching that we're hearing tonight, and from Psalm 121, uh, the two aren't so really far apart. Uh, Because Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascents. Uh, What that means is it is a psalm that the people of Israel used to sing and and pray and chant and say to one another on uh, uh, on their way to Jerusalem. As they made their way, they had to go to three festivals a year, the Jews did, over in Jerusalem. And as they made their way to Jerusalem for you know, these, th- these three festivals, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and um, also, uh, let's see, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Leeks, and the Passover. As they did this, okay, Psalms 120 to 155 are a collection of psalms that the people would come together and ask God to bless their journey, just like we do in our van before we leave. Uh, Before they left, they would begin to sing these songs, and as they walked the journey, 2,700 feet in elevation, through the desert badlands, you might say. I mean, just think of Big Ben, okay? Think Think of walking through Big Ben and you can't see your destination, and there's, you know, coyotes and rattlesnakes and bandits and people who would rob you on the way, these people would begin to sing these songs that God, the sovereign God, who was their God, who showed himself miraculous in the lives of their nation, would watch over them on their journey. Uh, Just like we pray today, these people back then 
had a recorded psalm for us to learn from about their journey. And so these ascent psalms were psalms that, that uh, allowed the people to place their faith in the God who was going to get them there. Does that make sense? And so in this psalm, in Psalm 121, we see two things. Uh, we're going to see two things this evening. There's really uh, only two movements of this psalm. The first one is a traveler's question. And if you've got your notes tonight in your little book, please jot this down. A traveler's question. A traveler's question. And this is Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. The second thing we're going to see tonight is a community's declaration. And so on the one hand, we're going to see a traveler's question. And on the other hand, we're going to see a community's declaration. Okay? Psalm 121 says this. I will lift up my eyes into the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. He is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. I will lift up my eyes unto the mountains. The first thing we see in Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 is a traveler's question. A traveler's question. And before we go anywhere else, before we move into even the question from where shall my help come from, we first have to recognize that the person who began the journey recognized his need. He recognized his need. Notice what he says. I will lift up my eyes unto the mountains. Uh, when they looked in the, in the hills of Jerusalem before they started their journey, they recognized that this was a potentially dangerous and treacherous journey. They recognized that as they began to set out, they would need the help of the Lord to protect them, to watch over them, and to sustain them in and through the process. They recognized their need. And today, in our day, the posture of too many men is that sometimes we don't even recognize our need. The posture of too many men some days is that we have our heads down in shame. We have our heads down because we're angry. We have our heads down because we're too busy. We have our heads down in procrastination. We have our heads down. And before we do anything else, we have to get our heads up and recognize that there's a journey ahead. And there's a journey ahead through which we are going to need the Lord's help because life, if anything else, promises difficulty if anything else that life promises it's suffering it's struggle it's difficulty and so as men if we're going to lead others if we're going to lead our families well if we're going to lead our lives well if we're going to lead in our businesses if we're going to lead in our church and our culture if we're going to do that then we have to have our eyes focused 
on the goal. We can't live with our heads down and at the same time thrive. And so this traveler lifts his eyes up. He looks at the journey ahead and he recognizes his need. He recognizes that he needs something to help him move from point A to point B. One of the biggest denials that men have in our society today is the denial of recognizing their need. One of the biggest denials that men have in our society today is recognizing our need. So let me ask you this question tonight. What's your posture? Where's your head? Because this weekend, we want to get you to get your head up and get you focused on the Lord. Number two, what are your greatest fears? What are you facing right now that causes you to want to look down rather than looking up? What are your greatest fears? My my wife, before I left, she asked me to fix the printer so that she could print. And I fixed the printer before I left. And I used it, actually. So I plugged it up, and I used the printer. And as we were worshiping the Lord, I, I looked at my phone, and there was a text from my wife, literally five minutes ago. And she said, did you leave the printer plugged up? I haven't answered it yet. Did you leave the printer plugged up? Because our dog just ate through the cord again. And now I can't print. That's what I'm going home to. I'm hoping I can clear that up before I get home. But nevertheless, the question remains, what are your greatest fears, men? What are your greatest fears? All right, what are the threats you're facing? Now, notice the second thing the psalmist does. I lift up my eyes. He focuses on the journey, but notice the second thing he does. The second thing he does is he gives us an anticipated question. It's like a catechism. Anybody ever heard of a catechism? You know the answer to the catechism before the question comes, don't you? Uh, The reason for the question is to rehearse in your mind the the importance of the answer, right? And and so the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. He's focusing on the journey. Then Then he's asking this, from where does my help come from? He knows the answer. We know the answer, men. From where does my help come from? The psalmist knows the answer, but he asks the anticipated question anyway. He asks the question because he needs to hear the answer again. He needs to hear the answer again and again and again in his life. He needs to hear the answer to himself. He needs to hear the answer in the community. He needs the community to give him the answer. From where does my help come from? Now notice this. Are we asking the right question 
men? Are we asking the right question? Because so often what happens to us as men is that rather than asking the question from where does my help come from, we're asking the question, why, Lord, instead of help, Lord? Did you catch that? Some of us are asking the question, why, Lord, instead of help, Lord? Uh, Others of us are asking the question, what should I do, Lord? What should I do? Uh, Others of us are asking the question, what's next, Lord? As men, we're fixers, and we want to get it done. I'm a get-it-done kind of guy. I love to get things done. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? That's not the question the psalmist asks, is it? How do I get rid of this? Oh, I've got a problem. How do I put the problem away? How do I get rid of this problem? These are the questions that we often ask. But notice the question that the psalmist asks. The question the psalmist asks is, from where shall my help come? Notice his answer. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord. Notice the qualification of who the Lord is. My help comes from the Lord who made, he's the maker of heaven and earth. This is a statement of faith. There's a question, there's an anticipated question Uh, Like a catechism, but then my help comes from the Lord is a statement of faith. It is his own statement about who God is. He is the God who has created all things. That is the God who comes to my help. Not just any God, but it is the God of creation who is sovereign over all. It is that God who comes to my help. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And like the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 says, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we believe that God is the creator, the one who made all things, Hebrews eleven three. That even by faith, men, even by faith, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. It is a statement of faith. And so I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice the word play here just for a moment. Notice the word play. I look at creation, the hills, I see the challenge. I look at creation, I see the challenge. And I find not in it, but above it, a creator. Who has made the very thing that presents the challenge to me. Did you catch that? I look at, I I, I lift my eyes into the mountains. I lift my eyes into the hills. I see the creator. And yet I recognize it is the creator who is the one who comes to my help and to my need. It's a statement of faith. But it begs the question for us. Where are we looking for our help? Where do you look for your help? 
some of us are looking to ourselves for our help. Uh, because we've been taught that when something happens, we have to fix it. And so we, if something happens, it's on us, and we have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Uh, for some of us, when we look for help, we look to no one other but ourselves. Because if anybody's going to get it done, it's going to be us. We've got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Some of us are looking, frankly, to comfort for help. Some of us are looking to comfort ourselves or escape from the help through various things. And we could just start naming all the things in our culture and society that we men are bound up in. Whether it be alcohol, pornography, you name it, that we're bound up in escaping, comforting, rather than asking the question. Rather than making the statement of faith. Not to other men, not to himself, not to creation, not to comfort, not to escape. Where is he looking? To the Lord. To the Lord. Not just any Lord, but to the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so this weekend, this weekend, one of the things that as men, I believe we have to do to move from point A to point B in our spiritual journey and to take another step, to get stronger, to thrive more in our spiritual journey, one of the things that we need to do is start with the right question and start with a confident declaration of faith of where our help for the journey comes from. Did you catch that? We need to start with a confident declaration of faith of where our help comes from for the journey. Uh, I would love more than anything else than to hear us the rest of this weekend. The rest of this weekend just saying to one another and hearing ourselves say it to ourselves, my help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. Hey man, let's remember our help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Say this with me. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. One more time. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Uh, the first thing we see is a traveler's question. A traveler's question. From where does my help come from? And his statement of faith. But I want you to notice something. Because the psalm here changes it changes in personal pronoun. Notice this. I, first person, will lift up my, first person, eyes to the mountains. From where does my, first person, help come from? Did you catch that? My, I, I. Okay? Verse 3. He, no longer my, but he, he will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper 
The my's and I's are now gone, aren't they? And so we move in this psalm from a traveler's question, a question of, oh Lord, what about me? Where am I? What about my journey? To a community's declaration that says, this is the God we serve. It is a keeping God. Uh, The God we serve is the one who keeps. And, And this psalm answers the question, who is this God? Who is this maker of heaven and earth? And it gives us one answer, and it's uh, an answer that is repeated in the Hebrew word shamar. This Hebrew word is repeated six times in this psalm. Do you think the psalmist wants us to learn something? Six times we have a declaration about who God is, shamar. Keeper, this is God. He is your keeper, men. He is your keeper. The translators, maybe in your, in your scriptures, uh, maybe as you go down through there, you'll see that he's the keeper, and then he's the protector, and then he's your guard. It's all the same Hebrew word, and it all means the same thing, depending on the context. Six times the repetition comes. God, who is he? How does he behave toward those who trust in him? He's an ever awake keeper. He's a watchman. He watches over you by day. He watches over you by night. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's your keeper. He's your watchman. How does he keep? He doesn't let your foot slip. Now back then, the Hebrews, or excuse me, the Jews back then... I love this about the Old Testament. They, they had to literally live and walk their faith as they learned spiritually from it. Okay? Let me see if I can explain. And, and we do this too, to some extent. Uh, but when God calls them to go into the land of Jerusalem for the first time, and God says, I'll be your warrior... I'll be your fighter. After God declares that he is going to be the people's warrior, what does he call them to do? Go make war. Did you catch that? They have to live out that which God calls them to do in order to engender faith in their lives. In the same way, when we come to the psalm and he says, God will not let your foot slip, there is a physical connotation to this. They're walking up a hill on a journey. They're walking through Big Ben on the way to Jerusalem, right? They're walking through dusty, dirty hills that are dangerous on the way to Jerusalem. They're reciting these psalms. They're recognizing God's sovereignty and his providence. He will not let your foot slip, literally, physically, okay? But in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean uh, he will not let your foot slip. Is not just doesn't just have a physical connotation, it's spiritual, man. Its meaning is wrapped up in spiritual truth. So literally, God will not let your foot slip, but yet, at the same time, spiritually, he will not let you slip. He is your keeper spiritually. Does that make sense? And so he will not let your foot slip. God is a God who is always on duty. He's never off duty. 
He is your shade from the scorching sun. He is your protector in the evening night. He will watch over your life, whether you're going or coming. He's watching over you. And he's doing this from now on and forevermore. He's doing this from now on and forevermore. Uh, The traveler's question starts off, from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord. It's a declaration of faith. And yet the response is a communal response that is a declaration of who God is and what he wants us to know tonight, what he wanted these people to know back then is that God is our keeper. Man, we don't keep ourselves. We need God to keep us. We need something, someone bigger than ourselves who we can depend on to strengthen us, to love us, to grow us, to keep us so that we can be the strong, thriving men that he's called us to do so that we can turn around and keep others. We'll never keep others well if we don't recognize that God keeps us first. Amen? But what kind of promise is this anyway? I mean, after all, life is tough, isn't it? And does this mean that God is not, is going to, if I'm right with God somehow, he's going to keep me so that nothing bad happens to me in my life? I mean, what about all the crap anyway? Right? I mean, literally, three days ago, my wife woke up at three in the morning in a fetal position, throwing up on the floor because she had a cyst on her ovary that blew up. I mean, what about suffering? What about the fact that maybe God allows your business to thrive today and tank tomorrow? I mean, what about this? Does this promise, does this keeping God mean that, that he doesn't somehow, that if I'm right with him, somehow he doesn't allow suffering? Of course not. Of course not. Uh, these psalms are... What's what we call a timeless truth. It's what we call a general principle. Uh, these Psalms and Proverbs are like wisdom literature that says, This is the character of God. This is the kind of God we serve. We serve a keeping kind of God. And this is who He is in His character, this is what He does in His sovereignty. And when your life is touched with trouble, He is still the same keeping God as when your life is in its most glorious, thriving state you could ever imagine. He's the same God whether or not you've got a million dollars or whether you've got a dollar. He's the same keeping God. Okay, He's the same God whether you've wrecked your car today or whether or not you've got a Ferrari tomorrow. I mean, he's, he's, he's the same keeping God and the promise is the promise is not that he keeps you from it the promise is that he keeps you through it the promise is that he is with you 
through it. And what happens is so often when we face the difficulties of life, we drop our heads, we lose our focus, and our hair's on fire, and we forget to look up and refocus ourselves on the Lord. And so this is a timeless truth. This, this psalm, it isn't a bait-and-switch promise that we won't have affliction in life. Of course we're going to have affliction in life. Matthew Henry says it this way, uh, to comfort ourselves in God when our difficulties and dangers uh, are greatest, it is here promised that if we put our trust in God and keep in the way of our duty, we shall be safe under his protection, that no real evil, no mere evil shall happen to us nor any affliction, but what God sees is good for us and will do us good by. Uh, this reminds me of the truth Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. But what's required of us? Men. Men. Get our heads up. Let's lift our eyes on the Lord. Let's put our eyes on the Lord. Let's face the journey. Let's not run from it. Let's not escape from it. Let's not comfort because of it. Let's focus on it, knowing that we serve a God who is not over not only our sovereign maker, but we serve our God who is our ever awake keeper and he will keep you and you and me he's got us let's depend on him amen let's pray Lord tonight we just open our retreat in your word what a psalm a psalm that moves from me to you a psalm that declares the focus I need to have and the promise that you give. Lord, as we move forward in this weekend, would you let us be the kind of men who recognize our need, who are willing to ask the question, and Lord, who bathe in the promise of your keeping power. It's in Christ Jesus' name I pray. And all men said? Amen. 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 <laughs>